Coming up on episode 24 of Off Air with Joe and Oral. Our guest is Chris Taylor, and Chris talks about his upbringing in wrestling. He talks about his swing change in 2016 and 17, and he talks about the need to generate more energy during the regular season and how the players are trying to do that with no crowd. And, of course, we're talking to the skipper, Dave Roberts, and he goes over the clinch earlier this week and how they muted the celebration but still needed to celebrate. And he also goes into his top four moments from this season. We've got all that and more coming up this week, and today's podcast is brought to you by Blue Shield of California, Postmates, SoCal Honda, and Bank of America. Blue is honest. Blue is strong. Don't Blue doesn't divide. Blue embraces. Blue doesn't give up. Blue is courageous. Blue is the color of the sky we are all reaching for. Blue Shield is opportunity. Blue Shield is choice. Blue Shield is tomorrow. Blue Shield is healthcare coverage that covers more people. When it's time to choose, choose Blue Shield of California. From Dodger Dogs to Garlic Fries, you can get a taste of the Dodger Stadium experience delivered on demand right to your home through Dodger Home Plates. Exclusively available through the Postmates app, you can still enjoy your favorite Dodger Stadium dishes while you cheer on the team from home. As a special offer to our listeners, be sure to use the promo code OFFAIR at checkout. You get a free Dodger dog with your order. The helpful SoCal Honda people have been stepping up to the plate with their random acts of helpfulness. Recently, they've been helping SoCal residents affected by the pandemic pay their rent and also volunteering at food banks to help feed the community. But the helpful Honda people aren't the only ones stepping up to the plate. The Dodgers are once again one of the best teams in the league and are the favorite to win the World Series since 1988. That would be their first since that year. SoCal Honda has been helping the Los Angeles Dodgers Foundation at their Dodger Day drive through events throughout the summer. Together, they're working to help thousands of youth and families, and they can help you too with great deals on an award-winning Honda. To check out their deals, stop by your nearest Honda dealer or visit SoCalHondaDealers.com. And to request your own random act of helpfulness, follow the SoCal Honda Dealers on Facebook. A setback. That's just a comeback you haven't met yet. While this season may look different, let's rally to support our team in a great cause. As the official bank of Major League Baseball and the Dodgers, Bank of America is launching a Let's Rally campaign and donating $10,000 to Boys and Girls Clubs of America for each late inning comeback to win the game, up to $1 million in total. As part of this effort to make a difference in local communities, Bank of America has partnered with Dodger ace Walker Bueller and MLB players from each team to create a unique collection of 30 t-shirts. For each t-shirt purchase, Bank of America is going to donate $7 to the Boys and Girls Clubs of America. That's up to two hundred grand. At a time when our country faces its own comeback, Bank of America is excited to use its partnership with Major League Baseball and Boys and Girls Clubs of America to give fans something positive to rally around. You can learn more at MLB.com slash Bank of America Let's Rally. Episode 24 of Off Air. Chris Taylor is our guest. Hit it, Frankie.
Oh, we normally end these chats, Chris, by asking whatever player we're having, who wins a cage match if the Dodgers all get together and have a cage match? And I'm pretty fired up that we now have an authority on the subject because we have the, uh, what, 2003 7th grade Virginia Beach City Wrestling Champ, (laughs) right? Yeah, but I I think it was like 91 pounds. (laughs) That's what I was going to ask, the weight class. 91-pound division. So you're you're the authority, though. Uh, Who wins? Uh, I mean, I I don't know. That's tough. Do you want us to give you the top three or four? We can give you the top three or four. There are no weight classes. It's just everybody. What What are the most common answers? People say Barnes. Barnes is scrappy, like uh-huh. he's definitely a dark horse. But like, if there's no weight classes, there's got to be somebody that can take down Barnes. Another one is Baez. Yeah, Caballo, sneaky. People worry that he won't get angry enough to win. He's he's almost too nice. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you let the coaches in, Bob Guerin get those big old hands on you, you could be screwed. Yeah, uh, I mean Joe is an obvious choice, right? Yeah. Just because he's got a little crazy in him. Right. <laughs> what, what about like just an actual, real, officiated wrestling match? First of all, do you still have it? Second of all, who would be the toughest match in your relative weight class? Uh, yeah, I mean, if nobody else has wrestled, then I feel like in an officiated wrestling match, I could probably take it. Just on technique? Yeah, for sure. But, uh, I mean, just from sheer size you know like kenley would be tough it's true and i can be able to do much to him (laughs) um i don't know didn't with joe kelly you kind of picked the right guy with as far as strength and speed even if he knew how to wrestle or no yeah but you could i think you could out technique them (laughs) I was going to ask you what you were like as a wrestler, but I'm hearing that you're probably quite the technician, huh? Uh, I mean, I started at a young age, so where I kind of fell off was, um, you know, I always loved baseball. And I think to be really good at wrestling, it has to be like your thing. And, you know, I just did it in the winter. And then, you know, so I would play baseball and do other things kids do in the summer and the spring and then wrestle in the winter so um it was a little bit of a disadvantage wrestling those kids from the northeast that you know that's what they did year round and um i wasn't quite as committed as those kids were but uh but yeah like just in like the local matches like middle school um just because i started so early and i like, if you're a little bit athletic, um, I did well in those. Your dad and your grandpa were both wrestlers, right? So that's obvious how you got into wrestling. But how did you get into baseball if you're from a, a quote-unquote wrestling family? Uh, I think just as a kid, my dad told me I used to hold the, like, when, pretty much as soon as I could walk, I would hold. He got me, like, a little wiffle ball set. And I would hold the bat in one hand and the ball in the other and just hit it, like, just throw it up and hit it. <laughs> and I guess that's just how he got me started in t-ball. But he never played baseball or anything. I was just, uh, I don't know, it was just something I enjoyed doing. 
Always the shortstop, always the pitcher, always the what as you were a kid and then growing up? Uh, shortstop, I pitched as well, but I, I was small, so I wasn't like a hard thrower. I just threw strikes. You said you were, were joking about the wrestling. You said 91-pound division, and you weren't kidding, right? Like, as a freshman in high school, weren't you only 110 pounds or something like that? Yeah, exactly. They, uh, that was when I quit. My last year wrestling was <laughs> middle school, and they wanted me to wrestle 103. They wanted me to cut down to 103 and wrestle there, but I, I was gassed out at that point. I knew uh, I wanted to play baseball. And it's funny because a lot of the – the guys I wrestled with and my co- wrestling coaches, they all said, like, I didn't have a future in baseball because I was too small. So wow. wrestling was better for me. They don't uh-huh. get any tickets nowadays, do they? My argument <laughs> was, what future is there in wrestling? <laughs> <laughs> Cage match. I guess. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. Now, did, uh, isn't the heaviest Olympian ever a wrestler named Chris Taylor? Yeah. That's a thing. <laughs> so you could have been the lightest Olympian wrestler. I think he, I think he got second. I think he lost. Oh, did he? Well, you don't like, want to do famous that. for getting like suplex. But oh. <laughs> we don't need that. I, I guess you chose the right sport then. So five one, one ten, something like that as a high school freshman, and you decide baseball is for you. But when did you really start to think that you could do something special in baseball? Because if you're five one, one ten, I don't imagine you have these huge dreams at that point, or did you? No, I did. You uh, did. Yeah, I was I was still good. I was just small, and then in my mind, I was always gonna hit my growth spurt. You know, I was always confident I was gonna eventually grow, and um, you know, I think that's kind of what helped me being the smallest guy on the team. You know, I always kind of had a chip on my shoulder, and you know, I felt like I had to work hard to to play with some of the kids that were a little bit more mature than I was. When, when did, did that growth spurt come? Spurt? Yeah, there yeah, we go. Sorry, Oral. It's all right. Partners. Yeah, um, I think sophomore year I was 5'6", and junior year I was 5'10". Still awkward, you know, because I was growing so fast. But, uh, yeah, that's – and then probably my senior year was um, when I started to grow into my height a little bit. Where do you rank in the list of the most serious Dodgers? Oh, I mean, I'm definitely up there. Uh, It's hard for me. Like when I'm in the game, I just, I can't be that guy that turns it off and on. Like I'm envious of those guys. I love how Kike is out there just having a blast, like interacting with fans during the game when they're, when they're there, obviously. And, you know, dancing in the dugout and then he can step to the plate and, you know, be all business. But that's just not me. That's not my personality. You know, I have to be locked in um, the whole time. I think other guys like that, Austin Barnes is that way. Um, he'll, he'll joke around in the clubhouse, but, um, you know, if he's in the game, he's, he's pretty intense. Uh, Seeger's pretty, pretty serious. Um, I'll say we're probably top three. When you get away from the game, when you get away from the game, where's the place we see that face? Where you get fun and can cut loose. Cool. Um, I would say like watching sports, you know, just kicking it. Um, I love watching football. Any any UVA sports, any Virginia sports. Um, I'm pretty passionate uh, about UVA football and UVA basketball. Um, 
And then uh, just, yeah, just hanging out with friends, like going to the beach or something. Have you always been the serious guy? Were you like straight A's and self-management and citizenship and all that, very straight-laced student growing up? No, in school it was more like how can I – I don't want to say I got bad grades, but it was more like I I wanted to get A's and B's in high school, so my parents didn't keep me from playing sports. Right. (laughs) And then in college – you know, I did all right in college, but it was more like I need to make sure I'm safe to be eligible for the season. So let's talk a little bit more about your your actual baseball career now. 2016, you get dealt to the Dodgers. You make the swing change going into 2017. But did you more or less had had the same swing your whole life up to that point? Obviously, some tweaks here and there. But what leads you to believe that you can do that? That takes some guts, right? You've been doing the same thing more or less your whole career, and you are a big leaguer, but now you're going to change it all. Yeah, it's definitely scary. Um, I I think it was something I was more forced into doing. I knew, you know, I had had stuck with what had worked for me and got me to the big leagues for a couple years with the Mariners. And in my mind, I could have been an everyday player with that swing, but... The uh, I had kind of reached a point where um, my leash was very short and I knew um, I would have to maybe do something drastic to, to be the everyday player I wanted to be. And I had seen guys, um, you know, Mookie Betts actually is, is one of those guys that is smaller than I am and, you know, just the rhythm he had with his hands and the leg kick and, um, you know, he was hitting homers and I'd seen that firsthand. So I, the, I was too small is no longer an excuse. Um, so I, you know, I, I kind of did some research on my own. Um, Bobby Tewksbury was a guy that worked with Josh Donaldson and he was very open about his swing changes and how it helped him. So, you know, I had just read a little bit and watched um, some YouTube clips and was just messing around with it. And then fortunately, because I would have had no chance by myself, fortunately, I uh, crossed paths with Robin Squack, who oddly enough is our head hitting coach now and uh, worked with him for an entire off season. And um, yeah, just kind of took off from there. Where, where do you start, Chris? Like, you know, I know in a delivery, it's posture for me, and then you step back, and now what do I do? What do I look like? Now I got a hip turn and a shoulder turn. Where do you start as a hitter when you went through it? Um, I think it started – I started doing the reverse tip was the very first move, if I remember correctly. Um, you know, because I – in 16, my bat was kind of way over my head, almost like, um, I don't even know how to explain it, like almost like a scorpion type thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I started tipping the barrel back behind me, and that was sort of to create that movement with my hands um, and to relax relax my back elbow a little bit because I'm so trap dominant and my elbow gets super tight um, back behind me. So um, I think that's where it started. 
but it, it just was sort of one move at a time. And it, I mean, it was a long process. Um, you know, you added this step back and it, I think overall it's just, I finally created some rhythm and some movement where before everything was so um, kind of stiff and um, stopped to start, you know? Um, and that, it was the first time I'd experienced like the whip of uh, that effortless swing. And I, and I immediately saw it in spring training. I remember getting on the field and seeing balls jump off my bat like they never had before. And that's when I knew like, okay, there's something to this. That feeling of uh, being free and the loose feeling and the whip that you're talking about, that didn't just show up and then stay there though, right? That comes and goes for hitters throughout your career, even once you've captured it. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I think um, for me, it, the biggest challenge is the thoughts that get you into the right spots and make your moves sync up. Um, those thoughts eventually can get you into the wrong spots in the opposite form. So I remember when I first started, I used to think like the, the knob of my bat was an ice cream scooper. And when I did my leg kick, I would think scoop the knee. And, and that was just to, to create that, that little, um, hand movement and bat tip where, you know, everything kind of, um, got to a point of control up at the top before, you know, I attacked and, um, you know, eventually, you know, that, it was working great. And then that scoop got bigger and bigger and bigger and it got to a point where it was hurting me. And it was coming too far out in front. And that was something I kind of battled for the last two seasons. So this year I had to do the opposite. And I kind of had to think no scoop. And um, it's just a constant seesaw. And that's the frustrating part about hitting, but that's also the beauty in it. You know, it's uh, it's something that it's going to come and go throughout your career. And that's why this game's so hard. And when you're having those positive thoughts, there, there are negative thoughts or is it just negative stimuluses like a, a count or a situation or the scoreboard or your batting average? What are the negative things that come in? Is it? Oh, I mean, there's a lot of negative in this. Thing. <laughs> Sorry. Um, yeah. You know, sometimes it's just battling with a feel. So you know, the biggest challenge is trying to separate all that work and preparation you do before a game and in BP and finding that good feeling and then stepping in the box and trying not to think about it, but still feel it at the same time. Um, yeah, that's the, that's the hardest thing. The, the worst feeling is feeling terrible before the game and you, you know, you grind it all bad in practice. You got to a point where it's just getting worse and worse and worse and you have to stop. And then, you have to step in the box during the game and try to forget everything you did before. That's probably the worst. Um, so yeah, that's never a good feeling. Yeah. Um, and you know, I've something I've battled with is the strikeouts. You know, when I'm struggling, I'm, there's a lot of swing and miss. And, um, I think my biggest kryptonite I would say is, when I'm thinking about not striking out, like, Oh, just put the ball in play. And then I'm not, you know, I'm not having good at bats. I'm, I'm being overly aggressive and swinging pitches out of the zone because I'm 
think, oh, I got to put, I don't want to get to two strikes. Um, you know, that's the biggest thing I've battled yeah. with. Is there any uh, chance that the lack of in-game video this year has been a good thing in some ways and that it frees you up to just go, like you said, go to the plate, forget all that stuff and just be an athlete and hit? Yeah, um, I do think that can be good. Um, there's been times where, for me, the last month, I ha- I've probably looked at less video than I have in my entire career because I've been in a good place. You know, every once in a while, I'll check it and just make sure everything's, you know, I have my checkpoints that I look for. Um, but when I'm looking at video every day, that's usually because something's not right. Um, so it's times like this, are, it's nice when things are going good and you, you don't really have to grind in the video room and, and uh, you know, video every swing you take in the cage um, before batting practice and... Uh, you know, that, that, that stuff's not fun. Once you get up there against a certain pitcher, can you explain to the audience like what seeing a guy good is compared to I have trouble with this guy? You know, they all say, oh, the ball comes out of their hand. It's got to come towards the plate. What's the deal with pitchers' deliveries? Uh, yeah, you know, some, some pitchers, there's so many stats now for it. Um, for the deception pitchers have, which um, I would say the majority of pitchers at the big league level have some kind of deception. That's why they're there. So there's some guys have like a, a short release. So it kind of comes out of their hand quicker or they could have extension, which means they deliver the ball very close to home plate. Um, some have a low release, some have high release. This kind of affects the ball flight. And, um, you know, it can feel like it rises or sinks more than normal. Um, and then there's the spin rates, which everybody loves talking about. Um, and that this also affects everything. Um, so, you know, all this stuff kind of just adds to, it can make 90 miles an hour feel like 95 miles an hour. Um, and I would say the majority of pitchers now have something maybe not all of those but they have some form of those that makes a difference um when you've studied the guys and you know you're going up against them then what adjustment do you make is it i'm going to hit the bottom of the ball against this guy i'm going to hit the top i'm going to look for a certain side of the plate yeah we so we look at um you know the pitch characteristics and what you know if they have like rise or sink um that obviously affects you know, for me, a guy that has some rise, you know, I'm going to be try to be a little more direct um, or short with my swing and maybe think about hitting like a hard ground ball rather than a line drive. Um, and then a guy with plus sink, I'll be thinking about like scooping them and getting them in the air. Um, and then the same thing with if they have like plus extension, maybe I'll treat it like it's um, if he's throwing 90, I'll treat it like it's a 95 mile an hour fastball far as your rhythm and your timing yeah chris uh what is the origin and i know you've you've told this before but the origin of barrels are overrated because it now seems to be a thing literally on every hit that you get including <laughs> a 108 mile per hour home run last night yeah uh so that started in 17 and i i had one game against the white Sox, and i got four hits in that game and not one was on the barrel. I think I had a broken bat hit. I had a swinging bunt, um, a little 
a little blooper off the end. Um, and I think after like my third or fourth hit, I looked in the dugout at JT and I was just, you know, I did the handshake. Like they're bleeding. Like if you see my thumbs at home plate, can you pick them up for me? Yeah. <laughs> and, it, and it just kind of took off from there. And then I think that playoffs is when, um, you know, it kind of caught wind. What's the other sign that Mookie gives when he gets to second base? It looks like he's spanking or something's going on. This is a family <laughs> show, Oral. You got to ask him about that. <laughs> oh, come on. I'm like, what is going on here? Use your imagination, Bulldog. Yeah. Uh, what about this chop thing Bellinger's doing now? Like tomahawk chop. I have no idea. Uh, <laughs> I, I saw him doing that with Rios. Rios yeah. Yesterday. And, and Jock, too. Well, we hope we see a bunch of all those, whoever, whatever it is, uh, as you guys get rolling into Texas. They're and, catching uh, on. It makes it fun. You know, I think that kind of stuff's important when there's no fans and see Yeah. Because we have to create energy somehow. So, uh, you know, I think that's our way of making the game fun and, and bringing that energy into the dugout. You feel like you're getting better at that as a, as a group and as a sport at generating your own energy? Yeah, it's actually something we've talked about. Um, you know, we talked about it after that first loss to the Padres. Uh, what was that, about a week ago? We, mm-hmm. we talked about, hey, we need to raise the energy levels a little bit and, um, you know, kind of create that ourselves. And and I think that's when, you know, the all the handshakes really took off. That's when, uh, yeah, because they kind of rubbed it in your face in that game. I was like, this is a little over the top. I was like, get to the end zone and make, you know, act like you've already been there. It was like, holy smokes, guys. So I was <laughs> glad it inspired you. That's great. Uh, Chris, this has been a lot of fun talking with you. You definitely kicked uh, Dave Roberts' scouting report out the window. And we, we joked around before we started recording this. Dave said you were going to be the loudest and most engaging guest we've ever had. And he was being sarcastic because you're known as a quiet, serious guy. But. This is fun, man. We, we miss visiting with you each day at the it's cage, good. and it's been awesome watching you do what you've been doing. All right. I appreciate it, guys. Y'all make it easy. Thanks, Chris. Manager of the Dodgers, Dave Roberts, joins us. And as always, we start with the best thing we saw this week. Doc, what do you got? Uh, the best thing I saw this week was just recent, and it was the first step, the first box that was checked and that is the Dodgers clinching their eighth consecutive National League West championship. Uh, it was a muted celebration, um, but we can't uh, discount what it means uh, to the organization, to the fan base. And so I'm just proud of our guys. What percentage of the people in uniform knew that the division had been clinched? <laughs> I would say if you would have if you would have asked me in the fifth inning of last night's game, I would have said probably half, which is scary. Okay. <laughs> I guess it's scary or it's a good thing because they're in the moment, they're present. Um, but then Bob Guerin did a good job once the pods lost. And it's funny when the bench coach comes to me because I'm very focused on the game, but he's wanting to get ahead of things and prepare. And he was kind of treading lightly, letting me know that the Padres lost. And if we continue to hold the lead last night, that what we what would we do? And so at that about the seventh, eighth inning, I would say everyone in uniform knew. And then what was the celebration like compared to what it normally is? I was a lot more dry. Um, yeah. My eyes weren't <laughs> red burning from champagne. Um, I think Alex Torres and his staff were very happy that they didn't need to spend the evening cleaning up the uh, clubhouse. We had a toast. 
Um, and then that was kind of it. Oral, what's the best thing you saw? Uh, I'd have to say uh, Tommy Lasorda's birthday. Yeah. And to have the skip turn 93 was awful lot of fun. Of course, the Dodger win, but uh, that's Dave's category, and I love it. But uh, also, my uh, father-in-law is born on the same day as, as Tommy Lasorda. So 922 is a big day in our family for Tommy and Jim Deaver. And Jim Deaver, I call him Diamond Jim. And uh, when, he, when I'm mad at him, I call him a, Z, a CZ. So, but I'm never mad at him. I like it. <laughs> Uh, for me, it was just simply baseball in person. It had been two weeks since we'd actually watched a game in person. It was everything. We had the uh, you know the long road trip off monitors for us. The two-game homestand against the Astros, we didn't do either of those games at Dodger Stadium. I did one of them for Fox, but that was from the Fox lot. And it was a road trip before that. So we hadn't actually watched a game in person in like two and a half weeks. So it was nice getting back to seeing the real thing. We like watching you guys in person, Dave. Yeah, no, absolutely. And uh, it's still a different, you know, everyone's making it work, you know, doing it virtually and offsite, but certainly to be there to kind of see the feel and, and watch players with your own eyes is certainly better. Our uh, guest this week is Chris Taylor, and we're recording a little bit backwards from what we normally do. We're going to talk to Chris after we finish recording this. Where does Chris rank in the most serious on your current roster, personality wise? Um, he is right there at the top. It's, uh, it's going to be interesting to see what you guys can or cannot get out of him. Uh, uh, nothing. It's a compliment to Chris, but it might be painful for you guys because he just, he's kind of like oral Joe. It's all about, it's just vanilla. Yeah. Uh, oh, wait a minute. Yeah. Doc. I, I do love, I do love CT and uh, he's one of my favorite players. And I, honestly, is when you're talking about MVPs for our club, he is right there in the mix. I, I know Mookie gets a lot of notoriety, but with what he does for our club, what he makes, how he makes my job easy, MVP, um, he should be there every year for me on our club. You know, the camera has caught you a few times uh, this week uh, with your arm around Max Muncy, kind of talking to him, making him laugh before he goes into the on-deck circle, different things that have happened. Do you have those conversations with CT to try and loosen him up? No, I don't. And uh, so Chris is just very kind of, he's very consistent. His demeanor, the way he approaches things, preparation. So, um, you know, Max has been grinding. So I just want to kind of add a little bit of levity and just let him know I'm kind of still, I'm there with him. I'm there in it with him and just keep going. Uh, where Chris, uh, yeah, it just never, I don't think he uh, needs my arm around him at, at any point. <laughs> Some guys are just better when they're serious, right? If they're smiling and messing around, they might not be at their best. It's true, and I really believe that. And I think Cody is another guy uh, similar to that. I think Jock is like that. And trying to get these guys to just be their authentic selves when they're playing, they're better for it, in my opinion. Um, but Chris is a guy that I think he'd be happy. Him and Seeger would be fine if I never said a word to him ever. So, <laughs> yeah, just put him in the lineup. So, yeah, so when you say hi to him and you get that monotone, hey – and then you just keep walking. So don't take it personal. <laughs> no, no, absolutely. I, I definitely don't take it personal with those two guys. Um, but there were times in years past where it's like I say hello to Chris and he's like shocked that I'm saying hello and talking to him. So it's like <laughs> it's crazy. But uh, I give him a hard time all the time. Um, how is Muncie doing head headspace wise? I know it's been a grind. He's doing much better. Um, he just cares so much and like they all do. Um, but coming off to essentially all-star seasons and – so now it's just such a quick sprint and to get off to a slow start. And 
I think with Max, it was more like, gosh, I, I've grinded and I can't get on track and I just don't understand this and time is running out. Um, but my kind of my message to him is everything, the process, it just hasn't clicked for you. But he's an easy guy to bet on. And so when it matters most in the postseason, when you're playing just to win and the stats start out zero, zero, zero again, and it's fun to just play to help us win baseball games. So um, I just believe in him as a person, as a player. So he's in a good space. With 10 games to go, you told us really not going to evaluate. You just want to survive Colorado, which you guys did and did very well. So now we're into these last couple series. What are your goals with getting the team prepared? I think it's more of just keeping, because I think the last week um, since, yeah, I think it's, I mean, even after that Arizona series, we've been really consistent as far as our mindset, the intent every night. Um, on the mound, in the batter's box, defensively on the bases. And so for me, it's that's going to be the main focus and message. And I think that we all get caught up in looking at scenarios of who we potentially could play, not play. And uh, I just want to make it clear to, the, uh, to our guys that everyone's worried about playing us. And so I think it's fun to run the exercise out, but I don't want it to bleed into we're worried about playing X team or Y team. You guys are already in the bubble, is that right? Like what <clears throat> protocols have established that you are already in your own little quarantine? Once uh, this uh, show airs, we will be in the bubble. Um, okay. Right now, as we speak, I'm not in the bubble. I'm in the bubble of Dodger Stadium. But, um, yeah, after this game tonight, we're going to all kind of take a, take separate buses and head to our bubble and uh, I guess in normal times, it'd be like, gosh, this is so weird doing this, but it probably just feels like another step along this crazy ride. It is. And we didn't really know where we were going to go, where we we're going to bubble until honestly yesterday. So wow. now it's like, and, and with players, and we've talked about this a lot, players are very regimented, routine oriented. And for these guys to be nimble and adjust is quite a feat. Um, and, and this is across baseball guys are having to adjust and, our guys just do a really good job of not elect affect letting kind of the nimbleness or having to be nimble affect the play, which is good. Our top four this week, we figure with the regular season reaching its finale here, we'd look, kind of look back at the you know, at the regular season as a whole. Our top four things, and this this is broad, top four things from this season so far, because there's a lot of good things still to come. But so far, your top four things, what's your number four, Doc? Uh, I think I guess I'll go with it in some sense of a timeline. Um, And my number four is AJ and Kate Pollock, their baby Maddie. Um, This was a quarantine uh, baby that was uh, very premature and it was touch and go for quite some time. But uh, they put it out there and there was a lot of prayers and uh, baby Maddie is doing very well, eating and growing, getting stronger every day. So, um, you know, so I'm just very happy for their family. I'll, I'll uh, follow off that. That was mine, too, is the Pollock family going through what they went through and coming out on the other side of it healthy. And on top of that, A.J. playing and playing the way he's playing, even with all that going on, how focused he's been able to look and how comfortable and relaxed he's been able to look. It's been one of my favorite things. Oral? 
Uh, I'm going to be a little bit more shallow, but it will be a lifetime memory for this gentleman. Kiebert Ruiz's first at bat, uh, hitting yeah. that home run, yeah. was absolutely fantastic to see and to see how his teammates reacted. And I think it was A.J. Pollock that said in the dugout, baseball's real easy, huh? Yeah. So it was, it was fun to pick easy. that up. Yeah. What's your number three, Dave? That's a good one. Uh, my number three is Clayton um, stepping up and being very vocal uh, about uh, – the racial social injustices and um you know clayton as a person that is a role model to many because of who he is as a person as a ball player but to really kind of get out of his comfort zone and to step up uh, vocally and um that was and get his teammates around him and and support his teammates that was just for me that was so i'm just really proud of him for that oral how about you for number three I'm going to go and stick with baseball, and I'm going to go with uh, Tony G's six strikeouts to start the game, the last game. I just love the way I'm watching a lot of these young guys mature on the mound. It's fun for me because I was a pitcher, so I'm looking at it and putting myself into their body, putting myself into their repertoire and how you would attack hitters. And to watch him grow as a pitcher and to do that, it was uh, fantastic. You go with one part of the battery, I'll go with the other. How about Will Smith's plate discipline this year? Man, just incredible. I mean, we, we talk about a guy who had an impressive major league debut and was above average in a lot of those underlying categories, but to now be elite of elite across the board and a lot of numbers that you can typically trust even in smaller samples like the strikeout rate and the walk rate. It's been awesome to see for a guy where – as a catcher, you take what you can get offensively. He's looking like a premium player, so his emergence would be in my number three. That's really good, and also you can add to the quality of contact that he's had yeah. too. So that you can quantify that, uh, extrapolate extrapolate that over one sixty two as well. So very proud of him. What's your number two, Dave? My number two is Victor Gonzalez. Mm-hmm. Um, he kind of came out of nowhere for me. I, I know the guys in player development knew about him, but. He and Julio are, are locked at the hip, and it's just so fun to watch them together. But to see him attack hitters left, right with 95 sinker, um, with a slider, uh, it, it's just – and this guy has no fear. And so to know that he's going to impact us in the postseason and just a really quick ascension. My number two is Clayton Kershaw looking like Clayton Kershaw just coming at hitters. Here it is, try and hit it, and more often than not, they've not been able to. It's It's been really fun. Sure has. I'll tell you, my number two, excuse me, is uh, it's not a moment. It's all the moments of getting to watch Mookie play on a daily basis and to watch him do the little things in the game, the way he runs the bases, especially from third base, his breaks and his leads. You think about the throw from right field. You think about the three home run game. But I really think about the little things that he does to help you win baseball games. Yeah, yeah. And and, uh, to kind of piggyback that, my number one is Mookie Betts. uh, His first year as a Dodger, his MVP season, um, just an elite player, elite person. And like you said, there's so many things that, our fans don't get to see on a day-in, day-out basis. But that play that he had in Colorado to steal second, take third on the overthrow, to run hard, keep his head up, and advance and, and score from first base on one play, that was pretty crazy. All those things. And then, oh, yeah, he leads the league in home runs, too. So it's like, I mean, for me, number one as well, Mookie Betts, getting a chance to watch him on an everyday basis. I think we all knew he was a special player, a talented player, but to really appreciate it is to see it every day. I'm thankful we get to not just this year, but for the next decade plus. Or I have no idea what your number one is. If, if Betts was number two, what do you got for number one? 
Well, it was something that Dave already touched on, and uh, there were so many different examples that we all use, but I thought the unity of the club and not missing a step through everything that has happened in the world and them coming together and being able to separate the world, not in a negative way, but to separate what's going on in the world and then to concentrate what's going on on the field. I think Dave and the staff and the players have done a magnificent job with all the different hurdles that have happened in 2020 and to win their, their eighth National League West title. Dave, next time we talk to you, let's talk about not just winning a division title, but pushing things forward into October. That sounds good to me, guys. Thanks again. It's going to be fun. And my uh, encouragement to everyone is just enjoy the ride and keep rooting for us like you always have. Thanks, Doc. All right, guys. From the mailbag this week, we've got uh, not necessarily one email or or a tweet, but a bunch of people just kind of wondering what the postseason picture looks like. And this is fun to watch with the Dodgers having wrapped up the one seed at this point, kind of seeing everybody else jockey for positioning. Who is that eight seed going to be? We're probably not going to know until final day of the regular season. But as you take a look, and if you can pick and choose as you look at the contenders, what stands out to you? Well, you know, when you look at, you're probably looking at about five teams. Yeah. It could be it could be Cincinnati, Milwaukee, San Francisco, Philadelphia, maybe even Miami. Depends on who continues to fall or who continues to move up. I think the team with the best top two starters could be the most dangerous because you can always have a bullpen game. So it's not like you need three starters. You could have one with an opener. So whoever's got the best starting pitching could really end up being, you know, an Achilles heel because three games it goes so quick. Yeah, yeah, and like you said, you really only need two to I mean yeah. literally only need two to to win two games and and end a much better regular season teams season and I think looking at the teams individually probably Cincinnati what they can run out there with uh yeah. Trevor Bauer, Bauer who might win Cy yeah. Young Luis Castillo is absolutely filthy Sonny mm-hmm. Gray um, that's that's a scary team I don't know that I'd want to play Milwaukee is it Corbin is having a great year yeah he's a Cy Young yeah. candidate and Corbin Burns jo- Yep, and Corbin Burns and then Josh, Josh Hader at the end. All of a sudden you see him for two games. If he pitches in two games and they're tied or ahead, they're going to have a pretty good chance. What would you rather do? Would you rather face a team that scares you on the surface like those two for those given reasons yeah. or a Giants team who may not be as scary in a vacuum, but when you consider that it's the Giants and you know they'd be treating it like the Super Bowl with a chance to knock off their rival? Yeah, it's it's interesting because you'd say, okay, the adrenaline is going to be more if it's a Dodger Giants series, but I think the adrenaline is the same. I think it's perspective from outside hmm. the field that all of a sudden you feel like it's different and you label stuff that happens in the game according to your perspective coming in. So you see somebody really poised and under control and they do well and you go, wow, that's that veteran status. See, he's been to the playoffs for seven years and he's really a veteran. And if you see a rookie who's trying his hardest and he seems like he's out of sorts but he gets it done it's like look at that youthful energy he's so good you know (laughs) or you could take it the opposite way and go look at that youthful energy he's not concentrating so i think what you bring especially as fans uh to the observation of your team and the opponent uh, i think it's a lot from your perspective a little bit of confirmation bias going on a little bit of uh narrative making and when it's easy to make narratives we're as guilty of that as anybody in our jobs you know that's where a lot of those come from is a spouting off, but totally. I mean, Philadelphia is a team that's been kind of hovering around mm-hmm. that eight seed, and these the things these things are changing like every day. You know, the, well, this is exactly what we predicted. Yes, right? and we're yeah. not knowing. And what I love is uh, that you know Doc has said in the past, and I think he'd probably say it 
as we move forward, he said that I don't want the team to think about which opponent they'd like best and which opponent would be the hardest. I want them to know that they're worried. They're all worried about the Dodgers and to have that perspective. And I think that that's a great way to manage what you did in the past. And now it's a great way here because there's just so many possibilities. It's not like it could be every other team, mm-hmm. one or two. It could be one of five or six. Yeah, it's a great point because we're, we're peering to find strengths in these 500 ball clubs who are getting ready to face a team that right now is playing 700 ball. So, yeah, yeah that, that puts it in perspective pretty nicely. Um, what are you most looking forward to in this week coming up? I actually, I'll be honest, I hadn't thought about this one yet. I don't know if you have. What are you most looking forward to? I did this morning because okay. I knew we were going to do this, and uh, it's a family thing. It's it's with you guys because we have missed seeing the kids, Charlotte and Blake, because yeah. we didn't get them last Saturday. And so coming up on Sunday, the last regular season game, we're going to have our traditional barbecue at your house, and I can't wait to see your kids, so it's going to be fun. I think that's mine, too. And actually, as I started saying, I hadn't thought of it. <laughs> you that, can't that steal it. I can. I can share it. When we are there together, I can share okay. it with you. We'll share. Thinking of maybe doing some big old tomahawk ribeyes. Uh, um, you know what? You can't hurt me with steak. You can have it every night if you want. All right. We're going to plan night. on doing that. Let's have a great final few days of the regular season here. I can't believe that it's that it's here, that we're already down to these last few. But Dodgers stay healthy. Get everybody ready. Walker Bueller, don't have the blister come back. Kenley Jansen, find your cutter, and let's get the playoffs going. Let's do it. Love you, buddy. See you down there in a bit. Love you, too.